This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. We'll take your Bible this morning and turn to Psalm 20. Psalm 20, I told you a few weeks ago uh, that as we have spent most of the uh, pandemic in the book of Psalms, or maybe even all, uh, that we're going to continue through the Psalms to the end of the year. It was my plan to preach the Gospel of Luke this year, uh, but that didn't seem to work out. And as we ended Psalm 23, I just prayed, Lord, what is it that you'd want me to do? And I really felt like that had resonated so much with us and I'd received so much response, we would continue to go through the Psalms. I do feel like that I need to be completely honest with you because I'm picking what feels like maybe a bit of random Psalms. Uh, About five years ago, I signed a contract to write a commentary with Danny Aiken on the first 50 Psalms. And I'd kind of forgotten about that, and it's due in December. So that's part of the reason I'm choosing the Psalms that I'm choosing. Yet at the same time, even in the midst of that, I'm just amazed how God continues to bring us to the right place at the right moment, and this text is no exception at all. God has some good encouragement for us today if you'll listen and be ready to hear what he's saying. I have entered into the stage of parenting where many of you have been before and some of you are quickly approaching where I am teaching my oldest daughter how to drive. I say I'm teaching, but because of social distancing and all of that, there is no longer driver's ed right now. You have to watch uh, about 30 hours of video on the computer and the way they do it is that you watch for a little bit and then it pops up a random question. Have you ever owned a pet? Do you have any siblings? Da, da, da. And the reason they do that is because if you don't answer that question, the video stops because they know you're not watching really smart. So uh, she's sitting there for hours and hours. And then at the same time, we have to log about 30 hours of her driving with us. So uh, this is what we're doing uh, during this uh, shelter in place COVID. I am terrified as I'm driving with my daughter. So we drove to Atlanta uh, this week, let her drive the entire way. And we had this little moment where there was a massive truck coming one way and there was a shoulder that was dropping off on the other way. And in this moment, I was reminded of one of the more traumatic moments that I had in driver's ed with Mr. Miller. Uh, I was in the back seat. Mr. Miller was in the passenger seat with his steering wheel and his brake. And then a girl from my class was in the driver's seat. I still see her from time to time and always bring this moment up. We were driving on a small two-lane road that was quite busy, actually, in North Atlanta. There was a big truck coming on this side and a man on a bicycle on the other side. You understand where this is going. She was really worried and nervous. You could see her tightening up. Mr. Miller kept saying, just look straight ahead, just look straight ahead, look straight ahead. But she could not get her eyes off of the man on the bicycle. I think that she was trying to understand, is it better for me to hit the truck or the guy on the bike? I, I don't know. I kind of feel like the guy on the bike, but I, she thought the guy on the truck was, or the guy on the bike was more important to save. And so she started drifting this way and drifting this way. And then the more Mr. Miller yelled at her, the more tense she got. And uh, he was about to reach for the steering wheel. It was a really strange moment. I was in the back seat watching the whole thing when the uh, windshield there, I mean, the rear view mirror clipped the man on a bicycle. I watched him doing this for a long time. I believe he made it. I'm not totally positive about that but I believe he was okay as I kind of kept watching out and Mr. Miller was screaming and the girl in the front was terrified. But I remember what he taught us in that moment. It's one of the only things I remember from driver's ed. He taught us this simple principle that your car tends to drift 
to where your eyes are looking. Your car tends to drift to where your eyes are looking. The only thing I remember from driver's ed, and I was telling that to my oldest daughter this week. Listen, if you look straight ahead, your car is gonna most likely go straight ahead. But if you're looking to the right and worried about that shoulder, you're gonna pull that way. And you don't wanna look to the left and go to that truck, you're gonna pull that way. I think one of the reasons I remember that is not because it's a practical driving lesson, but because it's actually a really good life lesson. You tend to drift to where your eyes are looking. So in this moment, if your eyes are tend to looking at politics or at COVID or at all of the numbers associated with that, or if you have made the mistake of doing what I did for the first time in a long time by looking at my retirement account today, and that's where your eyes are looking, then your heart is going to follow. Your heart will always follow the direction in which your eyes are looking. Now that is always true but I would believe even more true during times of trouble because in during times of trouble, we have more things to look at. We're we're looking at all of the things that are coming around us and the reality is if you're looking at those things, your heart is always going to follow. So if you choose to look at all of the troubling things, then your heart will go there and you will lose all of the calm and the assurance and the peace that is guaranteed you if you would simply look to Jesus and that's why we need Psalm 20. Psalm 20 teaches us where to look in times of of trouble. Now, we don't know the exact context because that's the truth of most of the Psalms, but we do know the general context. And you may have noticed if you've read through the Old Testament that the people of God are often at war. Uh, Even from the very beginning, you see it in Genesis, but particularly after you get uh, beyond the book of Deuteronomy and to Joshua Judges, you'll just see the people almost always at war. And the reason is this is because Israel seemed like a really good nation to pick on. They were always smaller than everybody else. They never had the army of anybody else. And so all the larger nations, exactly like it is still today in Israel, always tended to pick on Israel and think that would be an easy win. Now, growing up in the United States, particularly growing up for me in the uh, late 70s, early 80s during the Cold War, but even still today, you kind of grow up with this feeling that the greatest superpower in the entire world is us. And we could defeat anybody. We're the baddest. We're the best. I know nothing about our military. I just still assume that's true. And so you kind of feel better about this knowing this. Let me tell you this. The people of Israel never had that feeling. They never had the feeling that we're the biggest and we're the baddest and no one is going to defeat us. No, they always felt the opposite. They knew that every day someone was going to try to pick on them. There was always a greater nation that was coming to try to take them down. So in Psalm 20, that's the context. Imagine the people of Israel, small nation, never considered the greatest, with a large nation right outside ready to attack them, most likely to kill the men and to take all the women and children captive. And it was in that moment in which the king was going to lead the people to war. And the question is, in this troubling time, and that is a troubling time, isn't it, where you know that you're surrounded by a much larger army and they're going to come, in this troubling time, where do the people of God look? And that's what Psalm 20 tells us. It tells us where they look in troubled times. Look at the text with me. I wanna read verses one through eight. If you have a Bible, I would really encourage you to look at it. Uh, There are very important words here that you need to see. It says this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. 
May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all of your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now it seems to change in verse six. It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. It changes back in verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. The question is, where are the people looking in, in times of trouble? Now, at first glance, this seems like a personal blessing. And I have to be honest with you, as I woke up on Monday morning, my normal habit is just to start Monday morning, immerse myself in the text all throughout the week, and then really wrap it up about two hours ago. And that's what happened this week. So I'm thinking about Psalm 20, and when I first open it, I think, this is great. I mean, what we need in this moment is somebody to speak to us right now and look us in the eye to do what a blessing does and say, hey, church, listen, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help and give you support. May he remember your offerings and your burnt sacrifices. There's something incredibly special about a blessing. This is not a prayer, it's a blessing. There is a distinction because in a prayer, you're looking to heaven. In a blessing, you're looking at someone else. So in a blessing, you're looking someone in the eye and you're speaking a prayer, but you're speaking it directly to them in a way to encourage them or empower them. Do you know that God has created us for a need for blessing? This is why at Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened up and Jesus says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased because we were created to receive blessing. We long for someone to look us in the eye and say something like this. So I came to Psalm 20 and I thought, this is great. It's a, it's a personal blessing. We need something in a moment like this. But then all of a sudden I realized it's not personal at all. Because look at verse nine. The one verse that I didn't read, it ends by saying this, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. May the Lord answer us when we call. This is a message to the king. It is the king who is being blessed. It is the king who is the focus of the attention. The reality is that in troubled times, the people looked to the king. Now, although this isn't directly towards us, you're gonna see in just a minute how this completely affects us in a secondary way and has the ability to absolutely transform how we feel in troubled times. So where did the people look in troubled times? Let's look at this. The first five verses tell us this. The people looked to the king. That's the first five verses. The first section of Psalm 20, the people looked to the king. You or your is mentioned 10 times in those first five verses. May the Lord answer you. May he protect you and he support you. May he remember your offerings and your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and your plans and your salvation. Who's the you? The you is the king. They're speaking most likely to King David as he is preparing to go out to war, surrounded by his enemies. They're speaking to him. Now, what an amazing feeling this must have been. So there's a massive army waiting to attack. The people of Israel are completely outnumbered, and so what does David do? Well, it's his responsibility to lead the men to war. So what he does is he walks into the temple, and he gets on his knees, and he says, Lord, here it is again. We've had thousands of these throughout our history. I can't do this. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. But God, you've called us to this. 
You have anointed me to be the leader of God's people. I can't cower here. I have to lead the people in battle. But I know this, there is no possible way I will win without your help. He had zero confidence in his own ability. He only had confidence in the Lord. He then made a burnt offering and a sacrifice as a sign of his commitment to the Lord. He got up. He then walked out of the temple. He was ready to go to battle. And here's what he saw. He saw a whole host of the people of God who waited for him outside of the temple to give him a blessing before he leaves. Well, you just, you just can't imagine what that would do to David. Here he is walking out, about to go get the men. He knows nothing left. And then what he hears when he walks out is this, the crowds of people saying, David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. As you go to battle, may he send you help from his sanctuary. May he give you support from Mount Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. We know you just made an offering and a sacrifice. May the Lord remember it and bless it. May he grant you, David, your heart's desire. May he fulfill all your plans. David, we know you've got battle plans. We know you worked on this. We're saying is, David, may God bless your plans. May they all succeed. And as you go out to war, may you get the help from Zion and from the Lord himself. Now, if you're King David, that would fire you up. I mean, he, he went to the Lord and he made a sacrifice and he got on his knees and accepted the help. But man, when you know that there is a whole host of people behind you looking you in the eye saying, may the Lord give you great success and fulfill all of your plans. That does something really encouraging, empowering, affirming, knowing that they're behind you. But here was my question when I came to this text. Why, why all the attention on the king? Well, verse five gives us insight. You say, well, why is it that they were looking to the king? Well, look at verse five carefully. For the first time, they talk about themselves. May we shout for joy over your salvation. So the people are somehow tied to what the king is going to do. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. What they're saying is this, is that we want you to succeed and be victorious because that affects us. May we rejoice over your salvation. So David, we know that you're gonna go out to battle. We also know that what happens in that battle is gonna directly affect us. What we want to happen is this. We want to shout for joy at your salvation. And then he says, and when you do, we're gonna lift up our banners. A banner, a sign, a symbol of victory. So think about it this way. When I was a freshman in college, I went to a small university that was really just beginning to succeed a little bit more in athletics. We were in a small conference, and during basketball season, the only school in our conference that could go to the final 64 to the big dance was the champion of that conference. So if you won the Big South Conference, you got to go to the final 64. Well, my freshman year was the first year we ever won the conference and got to go to the final 64. It doesn't sound like a big deal to you for a small school. This was a really, really big deal. We were fired up, lots of celebration. I remember a bunch of us going to that game. Now, the truth is, is because we were in the Big South Conference, we always entered the final 64 as a 16 seed, which means we we're going to play Duke or North Carolina and get absolutely humiliated, but at least we had made it to the big dance. And that is exactly how the story ended and has continued to end almost every year. So when the conference feel good about ourselves, go and get absolutely destroyed. But this was incredible. 
I'll never forget coming back from that as we had this big kind of pep rally and we were trying not to focus on the humiliation we received, the big dance, but the fact that we went there and went to the conference, uh, I mean, went to the final 64 and all of a sudden as everybody was there, we raised a banner. And we all rejoiced together that, that we had gone to the final 64, that we had won the conference. Still today, I can tell you about the year that we went to the final 64. I didn't do anything. Like I'm 5'8", 160 maybe if I got on a heavy coat. I didn't do anything to get us there, but I still talk about how we went because it just felt like something we all did, we all did together. You do the same thing. I still hear you talking about the championship we won in 1980. You didn't do jack for that championship in 1980. Now I will say there was someone in the first service and I think someone here in the second that was on that team, you did something. The rest of us did nothing. You literally did nothing, but we still talk about how we won the championship in 1980. I remember when I was there, it was October 14th, 1992, National League Championship Series, Braves could go to the World Series, Sid Bream rounds third in the bottom of the ninth, he slides home, you remember this moment? I was there at that moment. I didn't see all of the end moment because I was jumping on my chair and broke my seat and fell to the ground, but I was there in that moment. And you know what we said at the end? We did it. We did it. I just ate nachos. I did nothing. But I still regard it as the fact that we did it. And you know what? We raised a banner. This is exactly what they're saying right here. What they're saying is, is that we will raise our banner if you go out and get the victory. Because of this, the people knew that their success was tied to the success of the king. They knew that if the king won, they won. That if the king won, they get joy, verse five. If the king won, they will raise up their banner because the king's victory is their victory. If he loses, everyone loses. If he wins, everyone wins. They will be victorious if he is victorious. So what do they do in battle? They look to the king. And they say, king, we want to receive joy over your salvation. We want you to come back and we want to raise our banner because our success is tied to yours. So in times of trouble, they look to the king. But in times of trouble, they also get assured of victory. Look at verse six. That's the second part of the chapter. The king assures them of victory. So they speak to the king, and then the king responds. This is the king talking in verse six, the only verse where the king is talking. The king says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So what happens is David goes into the temple and he gets on his knees and while he's in his knees, the Lord reminds him of who he is. David, you are the anointed king. David, I have called you. I have empowered you to be anointed means that the very Holy Spirit has put put upon him for this task. I called you for this and I'm the one leading you out to battle. And I assure you based upon my character and the calling upon your life, you're gonna go out there and win. So David stood up believing for no other reason but the promises of God that he was gonna win the victory. Now, everyone else hadn't got that same assurance. And so they say, may the Lord bless you and give you success. And he just very calmly says this. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. I know that I'm gonna have success. I know the Lord is gonna bless me. I know that he will protect his anointed. I know I'm going to win. Well, Well, then that fires up the crowd again. And so they're looking to the king and saying, may the Lord bless you and fulfill your plans and protect you and give you support from Zion. Then in a very calculated and calm manner, the king then says back, I assure you of the victory. And then the people speak again. 
Look at what it says in verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So so here's what's happening. The people look to the king, the king assures them of victory, and then the people rise and stand. Because they are assured of the victory, they are guaranteed that they're going to rise and stand. I can't tell you how much I love verses seven and eight. You know, verses seven is really familiar to us. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think about 1 Samuel 13 when Saul is going out to war and he has gathered up all of the mighty men he can get to go out to war. And you know how many he's got? Listen to this. He's got 600. You know what the Philistines have waiting outside? The Philistines have 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. I want you to imagine the sound of 30,000 chariots approaching the walls of the city. 30,000 chariots. You can't imagine what that is like. And then 6,000 horse soldiers ready to go. And you got 600 people in this little army. But here's the deal. They trusted in their chariots and they trusted in their horses. But God's people trusted in the name, the character, the promises of the Lord our God. And they won. And they're remembering these things, that they did not turn their attention to the other nation, they turned their attention to the Lord. So remember our principle? Your heart goes where your eyes go. Imagine if Saul in this moment can't stop looking at the 30,000 chariots. Imagine, he can't stop looking over the walls. If he can't stop looking at that, he's gonna drift that way and feel defeated. But if he will turn his eyes away from the trouble and to the Lord, then he will have some sense that he might be able to pull off a victory because your heart always follows the direction of your eyes. He says, we trust in the name, the character, the promises of God. Remember when David faced Goliath? And Goliath had been waiting for a challenger and all of a sudden David walks up and Goliath says this. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Come here and I will give your flesh to the birds. To which David responded, you come against me with a sword, a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the Lord will deliver you into my hands. David then put a rock into his forehead, cut off his head and stole his sword. In other words, I know what you're coming at me with and from every other angle, it seems like that's better. I'm just telling you, I've got a stick and a few rocks and I've got the name of the Lord, our God, and I will win. And that's exactly why they say what they do in verse eight. Look at verse eight. They, with their 30,000 chariots and their 6,000 horsemen are going to collapse and fall. I love the confidence here, but we will rise and stand. They will collapse, they will fall, we will rise and stand. I love the posture of their faith. We're gonna rise, we're gonna stand, we will not be defeated. While they're crumbled, we will rise. And here's the most beautiful thing about it, is that the people did absolutely nothing and they gained everything. They did nothing and they gained everything. They trusted the king, the king won the victory and they then received the joy and the confidence and the benefit of the victory. While they stayed at home doing nothing in the battle and the king went out and gave himself to win the battle, they got everything. Now let me try to turn the corner here and tell you why this matters for us. Every time you read a Psalm about a king, 
You have to know that it is talking about the king in that context, but it is ultimately pointing us beyond that king to another king. So if you read Psalm 2, or you read Psalm 18, or you read Psalm 20, or Psalm 24, hundreds of Psalms, they're all gonna talk about the king, and in a sense, they're for that moment. But just like all prophecy, they're somewhat fulfilled in that moment, but more fulfilled in a later moment, and that's the way it is with these Psalms. This Psalm, like every other Psalm, is pointing us beyond King David, listen, King Jesus. King Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. He is the one that has been promised to come and to fight battles for us. Listen, Jesus is the one who went out to battle and won the victory for us while we added nothing to it and then received all the benefits of the victory he won. This is us. We added nothing to this victory. You know that? You added nothing but sin to your whole salvation process. This is what you offered. You you offered sin, and what you got instead of that is all of the victory that Jesus Christ won because our victory is tied up in his victory. So this is why 1 Corinthians 15 would, would talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and would say that through his death and through his resurrection, we have secured our victory. So we raise a banner and we get joy. This is why Colossians 2.12 will say that we have been buried and risen with him. We did nothing, but by faith we're united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. This is why Ephesians 2 says this. But if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will acknowledge your sin and believe that without Jesus, you're gonna go to hell for all of eternity, but you need someone to save you. The enemy of hell, the enemy of death, the enemy of sin is greater than you. You can't win it. But God in his grace sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to humble himself so that he might live the life that God demanded we live, but never could. Jesus then died a criminal's death so that what would happen in that moment is that all of our sin would be placed on him. He would pay the penalty for our sin. He would take upon himself the very wrath of God. He would be buried. He would then rise again, declaring his victory over death, sin, and hell. And then when we join him by faith and trust in him, every single thing Jesus did gets credited to our account. We are united with him in his perfect life. We are united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. So while we did nothing, while we added nothing but sin, and Jesus went out to battle, we now raise our banner because his victory is our victory. You say, well, well then what do we do in, in troubled times? Well, we do exactly what the people of God did in Psalm 20. In troubled times, the first thing we do is we keep looking to King Jesus. We look to King Jesus because we know that our victory is tied up in his. Now, I make these little midweek videos every Wednesday. I don't know if anyone but my mom is watching them, but I make them every Wednesday and and they go out and it's just a time for me to not only give some announcements, but uh, just kind of give a little midweek encouragement. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, one of the comments that I've gotten back a few times is that Pastor Josh, it it doesn't seem like you're taking this COVID thing serious enough. Uh, this is a very serious thing and, and we just don't sense from you that you're taking it serious enough. And I, I wanna say, I do, I do take it seriously. I know it's a big deal. I know a lot of people are struggling. I know a lot of people are dying. Um, but the reason you may be sensing from me something different is because I have refused in this moment by God's grace to turn my eyes constantly to it. I'm not checking the numbers. I'm not reading a lot of news. I've got off of social media, which has been the best thing that God has ever done for me. I praise him for this. 
And so because of that, because I've, I've failed to, to keep my eyes focused on that, then the reality is then my heart is not going that way. And one of the reasons this is so important to me is because I know about this moment and I know just what leadership is like. So I know that if my eyes are constantly focused on all the troubles, then my heart is gonna follow. Listen, and if my heart follows, what you're gonna get from me on Sunday morning and Wednesday is an overflow of my heart and then you're gonna turn that way. So for the sake of my own heart and my family's heart and for the sake of you, because I genuinely love you and want you to thrive in this moment, I have to keep my eyes on something other than all of that. So there's never been a time in my life when I've read more of this than I'm reading right now. I just, I, I gotta be consumed with this. I'm reading this like never before. Why? Because I don't remember a time when it was easier for my eyes to go someplace else. I don't remember a time when it was easier for my heart to get troubled. So I've got to keep looking at King Jesus with the hope that my heart will follow and then with the prayer that yours might come along with me. You've got to keep looking at King Jesus. Your eyes are determining the direction of your heart. Troubled times, you've got to keep looking at King Jesus and you have to constantly be assured of the victory. Just like you saw in verse six, when David said, I know that the Lord is gonna bless his anointed one. I know that I will win the day. You have to be reminded that whether by life or by death, you win. In the same way that Jesus's death was not a defeat, it was a victory, so it is your death, which is inevitable. You're gonna die of something. When that happens, that's not an end, it's a beginning. It's the entrance into the greatest life that God has ever created for us if you know Jesus. And so what do you do? Well, you look to Jesus and as you look to him, you're reminded that he was victorious and therefore you're victorious. So you know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens to you, you're going to win. And then the final thing you do is you rise and stand with King Jesus. Verse eight, you rise and stand with King Jesus. You look to King Jesus, you're assured of the victory and you rise and stand with King Jesus. Our posture tells a lot about our faith. So here's what they said. We said, the king's gonna come back and you know, we're gonna get up and we're gonna stand. We're gonna rise and we're gonna stand. What I'm noticing in these days is some of you are defeated before you've even fought. Like you wake up in the morning done. You're, you're already discouraged, you're already defeated, you're already scared and paralyzed and you're walking throughout the day paralyzed by fear, scared of everything that is around you, terrified and discouraged by the future. And I just wanna say something, what the world needs most now from believers, listen, is a group of people who are so confident in the victory of Jesus Christ, they rise and stand and act like they believe in Jesus. They act like they've got the victory. They act as if we can be fearless in the face of trouble and danger because we know the worst thing that happens to us is we die, which is the best thing that could ever happen to us. So what, so what, what do we do? Just like tomorrow morning, what do you do? Let me give you a suggestion. Do what King David did. Listen to me, I'm done in just a minute, listen. You wake up aware of the trouble. Just don't ignore it, it's real. I'm not ignoring the trouble, it's real. But you don't wanna be defeated by it. And so you do what David did. You get on your knees in the morning and you say, Lord, I, I, I'm aware of all the trouble and I'm aware that every single thing is bigger than me. 
I'm aware that I can't control the circumstances around me. All of these things are too much. And then in that moment, you ask the Lord for his help and you gain in that moment some assurance of victory. And then you know what you do? You stand up and then you are reminded by the blessing that is on your life that you're united with Jesus Christ. If you die, you end up living. You assure yourself of the victory. And then you know what you do? You rise and you stand and you go about your daily life with the confidence that your victory is tied to Jesus's victory. God, what this nation needs so much, more than it needs anything else, is just believers to act like you've got a king who's won. Stop moping around. Stop feeling defeated and scared. Know that by faith you're united with Jesus Christ and your victory is certain. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.